Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. And don't forget, we also have that text message board. That number is 87870. And we got a lot of time over the next two hours to chat a little bit about the outdoors. Call us or text us. Tell us who you are, what you got going on this Easter weekend. What are your Easter weekend plans for the outdoors? Or what about spring break? Are you on spring break off of work or school and got something planned out there? We'd love to hear from you this morning. Also, we welcome questions and comments. Uh, I know we get a lot of emails in. I got a few of those to catch up on. But we're also going to have a couple of very special guests joining us in the second hour, in the 8 o'clock hour. Uh, Adam McDowell, uh, he is the assistant executive director of the LHSAA, which is the acronym for Louisiana High School Athletic Association. And at their last meeting, uh, they have uh, taken it upon themselves to pursue adopting the sport of bass fishing as an official sport that is available to Louisiana high school students. There are some 404 schools that belong, and 223 responded with most of those saying that they hoped that they would put bass fishing in as a sport, which is well over the the 100 that would be the minimum required for adding a sport. And they're talking about maybe putting in a playoff format, you know, maybe have regional, the state divided into regions or districts, uh, maybe two in north Louisiana, two down in south Louisiana, and then basically have a a classic, a, a, a big tournament. It's very popular. A lot of schools are doing it. Not just schools, but there's a lot of youth organizations that have these junior bass fishing clubs. And, uh, you know, for kids that don't want to get into wrestling and basketball and baseball and football, uh, this will have an opportunity for students to participate in it. Anyway, it's not finalized. It's not a done deal. But I want to get him to talk about what it's going to take and what it might likely be if you would like to get your child, your student, or if you are a student involved in the sport of bass fishing on a competitive high school level should be very interesting conversation he'll also take any questions or comments you have we also have another gentleman joining us his name is john weiler he's an attorney at law by by trade but he's written a booklet and uh, he sent me a copy and i got to tell you when i read this thing it's like wow this is kind of a story of my life it's how to fish and hunt and still have a happy marriage and it's it's short it's got 10 little short chapters with some great advice, and, and a lot of it's common sense, but things that you may or may not think about. And it's so important, I think, to to balance family life and, and, and your outdoor passion. Uh, in my case, it was not just a, a hobby, but it was it's also been a career, so it's even more so. But it gave me more reason to even be out there. But you still have to take care of the family duties don't miss the events with the kids and and also it gives you a little bit of an inlook to, uh, to the understanding of the spouse that you know what they may be thinking you know, although you can't see it because maybe they don't understand that passion you have for it and 
all in all, this this book could could be of very good use, and he wants to make them available absolutely free of charge. So be listening, and we'll tell you how you can get your copy. That's coming. Those two guests will be coming up in the eight o'clock hour. We got a lot of time before that, and we're going to talk about a number of things. One thing that that's going to be coming up next month, and I'm glad that uh, Mr. Paul Barnard co- contacted me on this. Uh, he is with the U.S. Coast Guard. And he is putting together for National Safe Boating Week. We, this comes around every year. Uh, they put out an effort to reach out to people and just do a lot of reminders about safety, rules of the road, not the road, but rules of the water, uh, and for people to basically save lives and keep from uh, damage and economic loss and drownings. Uh, we've had a, a, a really bad history of fatalities in Louisiana, and one of the reasons is because we have boaters doing all numbers of different things that other states do not have. And we do it 12 months a year. I mean, there's states that don't have trawlers and oyster luggers and uh, crawfishing. And a lot of people don't hunt out of boats as much as we do here because access requires that you get into to the marshes and the swamps and the bayous. And a lot of times uh, people just carelessness or they take on unwarranted risks. Anyway, they're going to really concentrate on putting together a a safe boating day. Uh, They're going to have an open house. This is going to be at the Coast Guard Station uh, in Old Bucktown, and it's going to be Saturday, May 18th from 10 to 2. They welcome the public. You can come by land or you can come by sea. And we're going to be talking to Paul on May 11th. He's got some really good things, door prizes and games and free food and uh, safe boating demonstrations and, boy, just a lot of efforts to reach out to people and just remind them about boating safety. There's going to be people from the Coast Guard Auxiliary, the New Orleans Power Squadron. Uh, They do free safe boating checks to make sure you've got all your gear that you need to be legal uh, before you get checked by the game warden and end up with a citation. It's going to be a big event. We're going to talk more about this on May 11th, and I'll be reminding you between now and then. And you might want to put that on the calendar to pass out there sometime during the day between 10 and 2 It's going to be Saturday, uh, May the 18th. Uh, Looking on the calendar, for those of you who like to fish rodeos, uh, this one's been around a long time. (laughs) It is the ASA, Automotive Service Association, Fish and Rodeo at the Hopedale Marina. This is that they're celebrating 25 years of doing this, and it's scheduled for June the 9th. That's a Sunday, and it begins at sunrise. Uh, Weigh-in is noon to 2 p.m., there's uh, prizes are awarded at 2:30. All kind of wraps up. Entry fee is extremely reasonable, $35 if you sign up before May 17th, and after that uh, it's $45. Now here's what you get: you get a T-shirt, uh, you get free lunch, refreshments, and uh, you registered for door prizes. Now if you're not registered to fish in the competition, but you want to come out and enjoy the lunch and the door prizes and witness the weigh-in. Uh, listen to the live entertainment. You can do that for a $25 fee. Um, and the rodeo divisions, uh, are the speckled trout, redfish, and then the bull red, which is uh, over 27 inches. And remember, and, and I've come across this once when in my Waymaster days, um, people want to enter bull red and bull drum. And they want to do two entries in their name. Well, guess what? We are only, with a slot limit, allowed to keep one per person over 27 inches. So if you're going to walk in and say, I can take first, second, and third in the blue and red category, no, you can't because you're only legally allowed to catch and keep one bull redfish over 27 inches and also one 
big, big black drum over 27 inches. So, first of all, keep that in mind. But speckled trout, redfish, the bull red, bass, flounder, black drum, sheephead, and also there'll be a president's award. All those will be presented if you happen to break the state record for any of those categories uh, in those divisions, you will get immediately $2,500 check. So that's a little bit added incentive. Now, all the proceeds, in case you're wondering uh, what this uh, benefits, is the Delgado Community College Scholarship Program. Now, if you want to find out uh, how to get signed up and even do it, you can do it all online, and it's asafishingrodeo.com, ASA fishingrodeo.com and i'll be reminding you between now and then this has been a a a long-standing rodeo 25 years one of the older ones in the area and it's going to be uh hopedale marina on sunday june the 9th all right uh my turkey hunt in kansas you know i got to tell the extended story on this thing It, it it was one of the the biggest moments in in my outdoor career life the the shot that i made and the opportunity that i had in kansas just two days ago opening day of turkey season but there's a negative slant on it and it's a shame that there is but i just feel like i got to tell people about it and i'm going to be back to do that right after this pause you'll listen to more outdoors i'm don debut good saturday morning from wwl fm 105.3 hd2 but you already knew that or you wouldn't be listening unless you're on the web at don the outdoors all right welcome back in to our special two-hour show called more outdoors uh, lots more to talk about love to hear from you you can call us that's one way to communicate 504-260-6368 unfortunately the five to seven show we really don't have a lot of time to take calls because we're too busy giving you out information you need to know while you're headed to the hunting and fishing hot spots but this program a little bit different nature we got plenty of time to chat and talk and love to hear from you answer questions comments whatever you got also you can do it by way of our text board at 870-870 comes right in here the studio real time and we'd love to hear from you tell us who you are where you are what you got planned especially on this easter week a lot of people off for spring break are you going to be doing some turkey hunting maybe some uh sockele fishing maybe a little bass fishing or try to get out there when these winds die down and get some of those saltwater fish if you were listening this morning wow we had some really uh rough reports from our field reporters about conditions low water in some areas dirty water in others uh rough chop uh, water Choppy seas offshore, pretty much blown out today. Conditions otherwise, you look up in the sky and the moderate temperatures, and, man, it's a beautiful day. But uh, got a lot of things working against you for the fishing. All right, turkey hunting. Uh, we still got some time here in Louisiana, and I'm going to talk about the Louisiana turkey season in just a few minutes. But uh, I need to talk about that Kansas trip that I just came back with. And... You know, it's a it's a drive up there. We've been going up there for, I don't know, six or seven years now. And I think every year, maybe one year, I didn't get my limit on turkeys. But pretty much every year we, we tag out. Uh, this year was maybe my shortest turkey season on record. Uh, they have a, a two-day, a two-tag limit on turkeys. Uh, you buy a, basically a non-resident license if you're from out of Kansas. Then you buy uh, what's called a, a spring gobbler permit, and then they it's a tag, and then you have a carcass tag you can pay additional money for so that you allow two birds instead of one. And their birds there 
different than here. In some parts of the state, they have the eastern wild turkey, which is the one we're familiar with. I, I got one of those uh, a couple weeks ago here in Louisiana, uh, hunting with Jerry Cross, my buddy. We both doubled up on him, same blind, about an hour difference. Uh, birds came in, no goblin, came in silent, and uh, both of them nice, mature birds, happy with that. In Kansas, they have those Easterns, but they also have a species called the Rio Grande turkey. And to me, they're much more colorful and prettier than than the the Eastern wild turkey. They've got a lot more iridescence in those bronze and uh, almost a a, a bluish color. Uh, The tail feathers uh, have a a bold, uh, kind of a beige, dusty color stripe on the tail. Really beautiful turkeys. Uh, I found that they're much more... uh, responsive to calling uh, to decoys than what you find in in Louisiana. But one of the biggest differences in Kansas and states like that, Oklahoma and to some degree Texas, open areas. Uh, You know, in Louisiana, we've got, we're hunting them in thickets and, you know, a lot of these cutover areas that grow back and, you know, hunting on little four-wheeler trails or small roads or pipelines, things like that where you can spot them. Kansas there's some fields that you can just see forever. And so you're, you're into the hunt a lot more. You're going to see more birds, number one. But I also find that they respond better. Well, here's the story on, on this year's hunt. Uh, we left at 4 o'clock in the morning. Now, before I'm going to take you back to this new piece of equipment I was interested in. Uh, I did not have – Chris Lecoq is uh, my photographer with uh, and, and editor of Bayou Wild Television. I also work with WWL Television, New Orleans. You see the Fish and Game Report every Thursday. Uh, I worked with several WWL photographers. On this Kansas trip, I didn't have, have a photographer going with me. In most, a lot of cases when you travel, you don't have the luxury of having a cameraman. So I do some of the camera work myself. Martha Spencer's pretty good with a camera when she's along. But in this case, uh, it was just me with a camera. So I, I have a, a, a quality, television-worthy level camera. That's handheld. Uh, I've got GoPros to my avail, uh, and, and I, I found a new product called the Tacticam. Now, this is a camera, a small little cylinder. Um, God, it's it's small. Much, it's even smaller than a cell phone. It's a cylindrical camera that ha- that fits into a mount, and you can secure it onto a gun barrel. Uh, you can secure it onto a bow. And the quality, unlike some of the earlier versions of these that came out, it shoots in high definition. It's got zoom capability. It's got an excellent microphone for sound pickup. It's a good little product. And I saw some of the finished video, and that encouraged me to to make the purchase and buy one to bring up there to Kansas. Well, I got it. Read the instruction booklet from cover to cover. Bought the top of the line. Uh, and got all the extras with it. it. Had the gun mount, the bow mount, the uh, extra battery, uh, the cables, so where you can view it and everything you needed. Okay, so I get the, the mounted on the gun, and I I, ta- I shoot some video right up here around the house, and take the SD card out, stick it in the computer, look at the footage, looks good. I'm ready to go. So had two batteries. And as you do with any new product, you completely charge them fully before you use the batteries. Uh, Loaded one into the camera and headed up to Kansas. Now, that was Monday when I did the test shooting with it. Uh, Tuesday was the travel day. 
Wednesday morning, got up before daylight to go out in the field. Uh, went to a, after the, the owner of the, the property, the lodge owner. He doesn't guide you, but he kind of gives you like some intelligence and intel, we call it. He keeps an eye on the fields and the woods, and he kind of observes, and he talks to the hunters like he did us when you come in. So he's kind of got a feel of where birds have been seeing, what kind of birds, if they're mature birds, if they're older terms, if they're hens. And he kind of gives you the rundown on the several pieces of land that, that he has makes available to you. We stay at his lodge and pay a lodge fee, and then the hunting's just kind of on your own. And he gives you a permit, a card that you can carry to prove that you have the right to be on those properties that he leases from farmers. Well, after giving us the intel, we kind of made our decisions, and uh, I went with uh, Carl Beyer, who's a regular. He's been up there with us, too, to Kansas. In fact, uh, he, he was with me when we discovered the place, uh, pheasant hunting up there one year. And we decided we were going to hunt a field. It's a large field, and we call it Riverside. There's a small river that runs right adjacent to it with a, some big trees next to it. Other than that, it's a big, wide-open wheat field, and it's got a little strip of uh, island of trees, and there's some cedar trees in the middle of it. And we have done well there. Uh, I think I've shot two birds there in prior years. Uh, he he got one there last year. Jerry Cross killed one there the year before. So I would say we've probably taken four, five, maybe six turkeys off of that particular field. So it's a, it's, it's a consistent area. Well, we went into it, and uh, Carl took up his spot, and I'm walking in the dark along the edge to go a little further. And uh, similar to what happened to me a couple of years ago, I had my headlight on and walked right underneath a turkey up in a tree, roosted and gobbled at me. Well, that got me into a, a, a hurry-up mode. Uh, went a little further to kind of put him between me and the other hunter and jumped in, got set, started to set up, put one decoy out, I uh, wanted to, because, you know, he's looking and looking. He probably saw me. That's why he gobbled, but figured he'd calm down, not knowing what I was. So, anyway, I got set up and got ready, and I made some little tree yelps, like I do some real soft calls just to let the bird know I'm there. And he answered, and he continued to gobble all through until daylight came. And I heard hens, and then I heard another gobble next to it. There were two of them roosted together. I could tell it was two birds. And... Right, not long after daylight, I set up a. I had a GoPro camera, had my regular camera, but you know couldn't use that and shoot with one hand. So I set the GoPro up, pointed it at the decoys where I expected the turkeys to come out. Now this GoPro has no magnification, so it's basically shooting wide, but it's an extra camera. Uh, I had the camera ready on the gun, and as soon as I figured the turkey was coming, I was gonna. It's got two buttons on it. You push one to turn it on. And the other one to change it from wide angle to zoom to slow-mo recording. And when I heard the turkeys fly down, I went to turn the camera on. Nothing. Nothing. It's supposed to be a green light and a vibration to signal that the camera's on. Well, the hens came out first, three of them. They started walking out into the field, saw them. Two big, mature gobblers following them all fanned out, strutting, and they spot my decoy, and they're coming. And I'm, I must have pushed that on-off button a hundred times, trying to get it to come on. Never did come on. So I said, well, I'm just going to have to rely on the GoPro or get no footage at all. Pick the gun up, put the barrel onto the spot where the turkeys are coming in, 
Uh, they were extremely close range. I'm going to say 25 yards at the most. And as I was aiming on one's head, the other one stepped up, and the one in the front stopped, and the two heads were maybe 8 to 10 inches apart. And I said, here's my chance, pulled the trigger. Both birds dropped to the ground immediately. Killed two birds, one shot, 15 minutes into legal shooting, maybe not even that long into legal shooting time. I got two tags. I'm tagged out. Don't know if I have footage on that GoPro or not. Took the GoPro back, looked at it. As luck would have it, the tape ran out because I had it running. You couldn't remote control it on or off. And it shot wide, and I see the three hens, but before the shot. So there's no video of these birds. Uh, following that up, uh, Carl Beyer, who's not maybe 200 yards from me, he witnesses the whole thing. He thinks one of the birds, he's waiting for one of them. Maybe he get a shot at one that runs away. Nothing ran away. They both hit. So he comes over there with me, and we had three other birds gobbling in other directions. We decided to stay put and try to draw them in. He brought his decoys over, and now I've got the, the regular hand camera waiting for his bird. Well, we get some more hens. We call the hens. The hens come into our decoys. i got beautiful tight footage. They're about 10 steps away from us. And we hear a gobble answering Carl's call behind us. Same direction where the other two came from. That bird starts coming. I get beautiful footage of it with the hand camera. We time the shot in the video. We got it on camera. It's a, a beautiful shot of a really, this is one of the prettiest turkeys we've ever taken up there in Kansas. I mean, the colors were just vibrant. And uh, Carl made one heck of a shot, and so now he got one tag down. And he ended up getting his second bird. He tagged out on the same day, too, later that afternoon. So us two are done. Uh, we got Jerry waiting, and we're going to try to get some more footage of him. But getting back to the camera situation, um, I got to thinking about it. You know, what was wrong? Was it defective? Was there something wrong with the camera? Was the battery no good? Why did I lose what is – this is equivalent, if you're a golfer, to a hole-in-one. It's a once-in-a-lifetime deal. I've been hunting turkeys since the 1970s. Uh, you got to take into consideration, number one, you have to be in a state where you can shoot more than one bird in the same day. That ain't happening in Louisiana, Mississippi, Alabama, and other states. Kansas allows you to do that. Number two, got to have both tags available. If you shoot one one day and you go back the next and two birds come in, you can't shoot both of them because you don't have an extra tag. And, of course, the opportunity has to present itself, which is extremely rare. So it takes all of that criteria for this thing to come together and then for a piece of equipment to not work and miss having this documented on video for all time. It's very disheartening. And I'm going to finish the story when I come back from this break because I contacted the manufacturer, and you ain't going to believe what they told me. Back to hear it, our turkey story from Kansas. Love to hear your story, too, particularly if you're a turkey hunter. you got a good story you want to tell, 504-260-6368, or text us at 870-870. Back right after this. All right, back to uh, the uh, lost video of the Kansas double shot of the turkey, the two-for-one special that I got. In the first 15 minutes of the hunt, and never, you, you, some of you may be thinking, well, man, you, you're asking for too much. Just be happy that you got those two birds and you had that out there. I am. 
but the fact that there was a, a, a poor reason why that wasn't captured on video uh, is, is, to me, very disheartening. Anyway, back to the story. I uh, got the camera. I had it rushed, delivered. had problems getting it delivered. Uh, you know, I had a, uh, That was another whole story. But anyway, I got the camera last Friday. Not this past Friday, Friday a week ago. Uh, Monday, I had the opportunity to take some time, read up on it, look at the demonstrations on YouTube, how to mount it, how to turn it on, how to look at the video, how to do everything with it, read the booklet cover to cover. They sell, I don't know, three or four models. I had the top-of-the-line model I bought and was thought I was ready to go. Well, on the way back yesterday, driving back, I decided to call that technical support division to find out, was there something wrong with this? Because what happened when I got back after the camera didn't work, I had a spare battery, but I didn't have it with me in the field. It's supposed to have two and a half hours of video time on the battery. So I took the battery out of the camera, put the other one in that was also fully charged, and it came on immediately. So figuring, well, maybe I have a bad battery. So I called them to find out what the situation might have been if they thought the camera had a defect or the battery may have had a defect and if they needed to replace it. So I tell them the whole scenario, uh, how it happened, just like I mentioned to you before we went into that break. And it was a lady, and her response was, oh, there's nothing wrong with your camera. She said, what happens is the camera has a microchip that requires continuous power when the battery's in. So that whole time from Monday afternoon when I inserted the battery till the time I took the battery out or went got ready to shoot the gun with the camera on on Wednesday morning, it had been discharging and pulling energy from the battery the whole time. But guess what? There's nothing in the instructions, nothing in the video that warns you about that. So that's like buying a flashlight, putting fully charged batteries in it, and then taking the batteries out until it gets dark and putting them in again because it's going to keep drawing power from those batteries even while it's off. This camera has four battery strength indicator lights that glow green when they're chart when you've got that level and red when it's discharged when it gets down to the last one green it's time that you've lose you've got just a few seconds or minutes before the battery goes out none of that works when it's turned off there's no way to know that that camera is drawing juice from your battery when the battery's in it as long as it's turned off so what happened was the battery was drained i took it out there it was dead and it didn't come on. I asked her where in the instruction book did I miss reading that because I didn't see it anywhere. Which YouTube demonstration did I miss that didn't say anything about it? Where was the label on the battery that said, do not leave this battery in the camera when not in use? It will drain the battery. And she said, they tell us that. Well, yeah, they tell you that. So you can tell disappointed customers why their camera didn't work. To me, that is a poor engineering design. The person that designed that is not a hunter. 
because when you want that camera to come on, you want it to come on as fast as possible. You don't want to have to keep a battery out, unscrew the cap, put the battery in and screw the cap back on, and risk dropping it into a marsh or a swamp or in the darkness. And keep the battery in your pocket instead of in the camera. That's a terrible design. But what makes it worse is even though they've got that design and that problem, and it is a problem, there's no warning. There's no warning issued. You never know that. You don't know it. I didn't know it. <clears throat> and in my case, it cost me video of a lifetime, once in a lifetime, that can never be gotten back. You know, they they can't make me happy. They They could refund money. Or whatever they want to do, send me more bat. That's not the problem. They'll never restore what was lost in in that moment, and it was because of two things: poor engineer design and negligence on their part to inform consumers of that battery situation running out while it's in there. Who would ever think that a battery loaded into a camera or a flashlight or any battery-powered device, when it's totally off, is going to be draining that battery the whole time? It's crazy. Anyway, Tacticam is the name of the company, and I'm going to continue to pursue and see if I can find anywhere where they made that available. She could not quote it anywhere. And I'm going to read the book all over again, but I don't think I'm going to find it. And unfortunately, that footage was, was lost forever. You know, I've got it in my mind, but other than that, and Carl Beyer witnessed it. He saw it from across the field, but other than that, it's a lost cause. Anyway, that's my turkey story for this week, and I'm sticking to it. i got a little bit of time left to hunt turkey here in Louisiana. Uh, and while we're on the topic of Louisiana turkey hunting, okay, uh, one of our listeners texted me earlier this morning, uh, are they having any results of moving the seasons back and shortening the seasons uh, as far as improving the nesting so that we would have more pop- a better population of turkeys? I am in the process of requesting the turkey study program, uh, how the biologists uh, acquire data, what data they get, where it comes from, and how do they interpret it in order to do what they've done to the seasons, which is shorten the seasons. And what I think is more important is moving the season later into the spring. And the thought process there is we got a problem with low populations of turkeys in Louisiana. So to correct that, what we're going to, and to my knowledge, the reason that they say that, uh, supposedly they do pulse surveys. They observe hens after the nesting season. They count how many chicks are with her. They extrapolate the numbers, and that gives you an idea what the next year's population is going to be. That's one method. Uh, The other method is when hunters in Louisiana and most states now, Kansas, uh, Alabama, and Mississippi have gone to this too, uh, you have tags, and you have to tag each bird immediately. And in Louisiana, not Kansas, but Louisiana, you report it. You've, you've got a limited amount of time. You either go online or there's a toll-free number to call, and you tell them the date, whether it was a mature bird or a juvenile bird, and where what parish it was killed in. They get those numbers in. And that gives them a measurement of how many turkeys and where they were that were killed in the state of Louisiana. Theoretically, every turkey that is killed is accounted for. But as we know, theories and reality are different. Uh, They estimate, and I heard this come from a National Wild Turkey Federation representative on a radio interview a few days ago, 
that they estimate between 30 and 40 percent of turkeys killed in Louisiana are not reported. They go unreported and untagged. How they come up with that number, I don't know. Uh, what do you do? Do you ask people, uh, did you cheat? How many times did you cheat on your turkey tags and expect an honest answer? I don't know. But if, in fact, they're using that and giving it a lot of credibility, I think that could probably be a very poor way to measure the turkey population. And, you know, I've made reference, and I'm going to talk about this probably more, about the speckled trout population. The biologists are saying now that uh, their, their surveys that they've done, and they, they by law have to report a, a status report on the population every so many years. What they're saying the population is, I hear reflected in the fishermen who are out there fishing. Uh, the guides, the everyday recreational fishermen, they're saying one thing about speckled trout, and it's kind of reinforced by what Wildlife and Fisheries says. So the two are matching. I don't see that in the Louisiana turkey population. What the biologists in the turkey program are saying is a real dire situation and our populations are low and continue to decrease every year. I don't hear that, and I don't see that. Uh, I've talked to people. Yeah, now some areas, you know, and it can vary greatly in, in, the, in the same area. One lease, for whatever reasons, poor habitat, more predators, more hunter, whatever, they might not have as high a population. Others, they've got abundances of turkeys, and they've seen more turkeys in recent years than they've ever seen. It doesn't jibe with what the state is saying. And I'm wondering if the state has good enough statistics and data to make these claims that the bird population is so low that we need to reduce the limit and we need to move the season back so that when you go out there, the chances of getting a bird are less because there's fewer birds gobbling. They stop gobbling in Louisiana at a certain period of time, and if you miss that in the early part of the year, you don't have much of a chance of of shooting that turkey. That's what it's all about is working gobbling birds into the call and to get them in gun range. And when you move the season back and you shorten the number of days and you get a year where you got some really rough weather conditions, particularly on weekends when most people are hunting, yes, you are going to reduce the number of turkeys that are taken, which means that even less will be coming in as reported. Now, will that be read as to say, well, you know, the turkeys are even in more trouble? Nobody's killing any. We're not getting in the numbers. I think they're way off on the number of people who are not reporting turkeys and not using the tags and whatever other method they're using uh, and they've got limited resources i think they could be helped by asking for volunteers from turkey hunters and leaseholders and club members who are serious turkey hunters and really are concerned about conserving and, and, and propagating the species and making sure we have healthy numbers they i think that there would be a lot of cooperators uh, alabama has about 400 people who assist the Department of Wildlife and Fisheries in, in estimating the turkey population. I have never received a press release from the Louisiana Department of Wildlife and Fisheries asking for volunteers to help report on turkey populations. Never, ever. Don't hear it today. And if the population is that bad, well, we've got to cut the days back so short and move it out of the peak of the gobbling season I think they could use all the help they could get. Anyway, I'm in the process of trying to get it, find out what they're doing. Uh, Maybe they're doing everything they can. Maybe they're right on target with it. I don't know. But from what I hear from you 
And I'd love to hear from you if you feel the same way. Uh, if you're a listener, and send me an email. Go to my website, DonTheOutdoorsGuy.com. There's a contact button there. Tell me where you hunt, what you see, if your trend is down. And there are places. Uh, my own personal deal lease. Uh, I used to see a lot more turkeys back there. And because the company that owns it uh, uh, leases it for paper uh, processing and timber and pine uh, plantations, because of their harvest methods, that's part of the reason that there's less turkeys back there. But there's other places where they're on the up incline. They've got actually more turkeys than they've ever had there. And to set seasons in each little area, they're just scattergunning by setting blanket seasons for the same area where one could be justified to have longer seasons, maybe a more generous bag limit, uh, maybe working with the lease and club members, they could issue uh, more tags for one area, and I know it takes money and it takes time and personnel, and maybe we can help get that. But anyway, I'm going to be working on that, and I want you turkey hunters to, to, to stick with me and give me some assistance on this. I really need to hear from you. Uh, let me know if you're willing to be contacted and, and talk about what you're seeing in your area and, and what you think needs to be done, and if the, the, the numbers that they're giving you and the dates are not satisfactory for what you see in there. I'd like to hear that. If you think you really do have a problem, I want to hear that too. Anyway, we'll try to get things done. I mean, that's how I see the job of any journalist. And I happen to be an outdoors wildlife journalist. And uh, part of being uh, one of those is to perform the duties of a watchdog and, and kind of make sure things are, are, are being done to suit the consumers and that things are being done properly. Not that I'm an expert biologist and I can tell a biologist his job, but I can certainly offer to help them and try to understand what they're doing in order to get the person that they are there to serve. They are paid to serve, and that's the hunting public. And what I'm seeing is a lot of people doing exactly what I'm doing, leaving the state, and buying licenses out of state and spending money in other places that offer more opportunity for turkey hunting. Anyway, enough for turkeys. When I come back, we'll talk some more speckled trout, kind of run down those numbers for you on the survey that we're doing, and also get your input on that. Call us, 504-260-6368, or shoot me a text at 870-870. You're listening to More Outdoors, and we're right back after this. All right, before we get into uh, speckled trout talk, I did want to remind you, uh, we have been looking for what you consider the most hazardous spot you boat. What is an area that when you go there, you really got to be on your game because it's just dangerous because of whatever reasons, uh, underwater obstructions, uh, heavy boat traffic, uh, problems with uh, boating and drinking. Uh, I'd love to hear that because we're trying to identify those areas. You can send that to me. Uh, by email would probably be best. Just send it to, you know, if you go to DonTheOutdoorsGuy.com, we have a contact button there. Shoot me your email and give me the best description of that area you can. We're trying to find the 10 most dangerous places. And I got some responses in. Uh, so a lot of people said it's uh, uh, down there in Venice, uh, Red Pass, uh, Chef Pass, and where it goes into um, Irish Bayou. Um, let's see, we had, let's see, we had Tickfall River on the Ameet. Uh, Blind River Diversion Canal, South Pass or uh, Jetties, uh, the Delacro Launch on opening day. It looks like a scene from Jaws, they said, um, when the trout bite starts. Also, the jump down there uh, when duck season opens up in, in the Venison area. Anyway, we'd love to hear from you. Just kind of tell me your your uh, most hazardous boating spot that, that you visit and uh, send us that. All right, speckled trout. 
Um, you know, I'm kind of comparing this situation to the turkey thing I, I just talked about. Uh, the, the speckled trout numbers, uh, if you talk to fishermen in Louisiana, whether it's guides or recreational fishermen, uh, pretty much all across the board, everybody says, yeah, it's, it's just been downhill the last few years, not as good as it's been. Could be a number of reasons, habitat loss, BP oil spill, uh, some freezes that took place uh, during the winters, those type of things. Uh, an early study was done by the Department of Wildlife and Fisheries, and by law they have to assess the state's, it's kind of a, a state of the Stepbeckel trout report, and their preliminary findings uh, said that it looks like the population is down and the reason is overfishing. Uh, they're going to take a few more months to get some reevaluations and more data put in, and then when they see what the issue is, they're probably going to make some recommendations for changes. Not probably. If they see that it is definitely overfished according to the data they've got, they will. They will make some offers of changes to regulations to rectify the situation. And this is pure speculation, but these are some of the things that could be done to reduce the overfishing and bring the speckled population back. Uh, And unlike the turkeys where biologists say no turkeys, Hunters say plenty turkeys. Speckled trout is different. They're in agreement pretty much. But what needs to be determined, and I'm hoping the Louisiana Department of Wildlife and Fisheries will handle this in such a fashion uh, that Alabama is doing theirs. They're also changing, uh, offering to change speckled trout regulations, and they're contacting the users, the consumers, the people who are being served, and asking for their input on how we go about doing that. And there are different things that they can do in each action that they would take would produce a measured result and by letting the people decide here's where we want to be these are the different ways to get there tell us what you would most be comfortable with if we did have to tighten up the belt and here's the way my poll looks right now we're asking you if these changes need to be brought about would you be in favor of reducing the 25 fish speckled trout limit per day to somewhere between 10 and 15. That is the choice of most of the respondents, about 67%. Uh, the next highest number would be 19%. That would be to raise the minimum size from the current 12-inch size. That would leave more fish to spawn in the water because you're not going to be able to take the smaller fish, and which means your limit will probably be smaller also. Then we have a three-way tie for the next measures. Uh, About 5% want to set a slot limit where you raise the minimum size and then keep one over the slot. That's what we have on redfish. It's 16 to 27. You keep one over 27. Certainly would be smaller on trout, particularly on the big size, on the the maximum size. And 5% think we should go with that. 5% 5% would like to see season closed, you know, maybe close the season during the spawn, uh, whether it be 30 days or whatever, to give the fish a, a chance to be unmolested while they're completing the spawn. 5% would rather see that. Um, that means, though, that at certain times of the year, instead of being able to go fish 12 months out of the year for speckle trout, there would be a period of time where it would be illegal to go out and catch specks. Then... Uh, Another 5% said they don't want any changes. Uh, They don't care if the population's short or if it's not. They think that 25 fish per person 
Um, 12-inch minimum size is fine. Of course, we've got a little bit different regulations out in southwest Louisiana. They would also not recommend any changes there. And then we have 0% that really would tighten the belt. Uh, Nobody wants to limit the number of people who purchase and are able to fish saltwater by buying a license. Uh, That would be one of the remedies. Just say, well, we got too many. It's overfished. we got too many fishermen. Let's cut back the number of fishermen. That would also cut back a serious amount of the revenue, and no one is in favor of that. Uh, No one is in favor of going real tight on the limits. Uh, I've heard talk in the past that in order to make a difference by reducing the number of fish that a person can keep on a daily basis, in order to accomplish anything, it would have to be reduced to less than 10, maybe as few as four or seven fish per person or five. Well, not one person is voting to tighten the belt that much on this poll anyway. So that's kind of how it breaks down. I would love for you to participate in this. If you will, just go on the website, DonTheOutdoorsGuy.com. Outdoor Opinion Poll is the section. Click it on, and you'll see the options, and then cast your vote. We're going to keep this open. Uh, We'll end the voting on the 22nd, which is this coming Monday. After Monday, we'll shut it down, and on next week's show, I'll have the final results for you. And we're going to continue to talk about this. And uh, the last war, we had an interview with Patrick Banks of Wildlife and Fisheries about this. And at first, they thought it was going to be the final report would be ready in a few weeks. Now they're looking at possibly months before having this completed. Uh, And certainly, it's not going to affect anything during this year. It would take... Uh, either legislative or commission action to actually change the regulations and the laws, and that would take some time. So you'd probably be looking at the 2020 season if, in fact, any of these, and maybe none of them, uh, will come into play. It all depends on what the research turns up and and what it shows. All right, so, um, again, on offshore fishing, red snapper, date has been set in case you want to get out and catch some of those beauties. Uh, May 24th is going to be the opening day. And it will remain open on weekends, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. This is not charter boats now with federal permits. This is for recreational boaters. It will be open until the season uh, will be closed when they estimate that the allocation, the total number of red snapper by pounds, has been exhausted. Uh, And then it will be extended beyond those dates if it does, if we have not yet caught them. And a lot of that depends on weather and fishermen catch effort. But this is a case where... There was a problem, and it was a perceived problem. You know, federal government was saying, you got no snapper out there. They're overfished. And the fishermen are saying, what do you mean? We can't keep them off of the line. We can't get a bait past them. There's so many of them out there. Didn't jibe. Louisiana Wildlife and Fisheries came up with La Creel, a better accurate accounting method. This was the result. More generous limits and season dates for snapper. I'm hoping the same thing could happen with turkeys. All right, back with some special guests uh, coming up in the final hour of More Outdoors right here on WWL FM 105.3 HD2. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. 